You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will take your Bibles tonight, turn to Galatians chapter 5 this evening. Galatians chapter 5. And uh, we will um, be in Galatians for a few weeks as well in um, the new year. This will be our last study in this series for 2022. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1 and read down through verse 15. Galatians chapter 5, and let's begin in verse 1. Paul says here, excuse me, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace." For we through the Spirit wait for the hope, it's interesting we studied about hope this morning, for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ, verse 6, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well, which, uh, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. Notice now verse 13, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. And so we've been looking at plus nothing, making sure that we're not adding anything to, not subtracting anything from the grace of God. And tonight we want to look at this grace stabilized, grace stabilized. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege to gather this evening. Thank you for the faithfulness of these folks. Pray, Father, that you would meet with us now as we center our minds and hearts uh, on your word and submit ourselves to it. I pray that your spirit would bring application. Pray you would challenge us, Lord, where needed. Um, Lord, where our own insecurities and instabilities are the result of an underappreciation or disassociation from your grace. And help us, Lord, free us from that instability, free us from that insecurity, and help us, Lord, to be grounded in the grace that you provide through the cross. Bless this study, be honored in it, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you've observed this as I have, but as we go into adulthood, um, I know for me, when I was a kid, even a teenager, I thought when I became 18, all of a sudden, all my insecurities would just disappear. And one of the things I'm finding in my own life as I look in the mirror and, and often when I'm in a, either a counseling room or just a conversation with another adult, there's a lot of adult insecurities, aren't there? Um, there's probably something somebody said to you in elementary school that you still, they made fun of you, they mocked you in some way. You, if somebody brought it up tonight, it's, it's very thin skin in that area of your life, insecurities. Um, the other day I heard a guy tongue-in-cheek who said he has a bumper sticker that on it, so this is on it, the back of his car, it says this honk if you think I'm handsome. So he's got that on the back of his car. And he said, on days where I feel extra down or insecure, I will spend large portions of the day sitting at green lights until I feel better about myself. <laughs> um, do you ever grasp at straws to try to, try to reduce the sense of insecurities that you feel? Um, I think often that's true of us in ways that we probably are too insecure to admit tonight. Uh, as it relates to uh, a lot of different factors. Can I just say to you this evening, anything less than the grace of God as our foundation will produce instability and will produce insecurities. And I would say, if I ask you tonight, what are you insecure about? And then if I said, now blame, blame something for those insecurities, I would guess probably 
well down the list would be a dysfunctional relationship with the grace of God. We talk about childhood memories and wounds and scars. We would talk about factors that are part of our physical makeup tonight or whatever the, the thing is. And often we're blaming the wrong things or blaming the wrong people as a result, in contrast to just owning where it's off between us and God's grace. So Paul here in this section in chapter 5, he has previously defended his authority as an apostle and the doctrine of justification by faith. Now he's going to defend Christian freedom. Um, and, and really, there are only two options as it relates to the freedom that we find in the grace of God. Either it's going to lead us to lawlessness, which is instability, or it's going to lead us to true liberty, um, which is uh, groundedness and stability in our lives through uh, the grace that God gives, and specifically godliness versus lawlessness. So the question tonight is this, in a day of religiosity often fueled by insecurities, and man, I'm telling you, most false doctrine is fueled by and sustained by human insecurities. Both the guy leading or the gal leading it and everybody who's following them, they're playing upon, they're using our insecurities against us to mislead us away from the truth of God's word. And so in a day of religiosity fueled by insecurities, how do we, in contrast, allow the grace of God to produce in us an unflappable stability? Let's talk about two stabilizing provisions of God found in His grace that you and I need to grow in if we're going to be more stable and consistent in our walk with the Lord. Number one, let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the stabilizing foundation, stabilizing foundation that we find in God's grace. Um, so we would have finished the service this morning, um, and then as I mentioned, uh, Miss Wendy uh, Groff and Tim, who've been coming to our church recently, um, her mother passed away a week ago, and so we went to the calling hours this afternoon in Mansfield, and I normally get a power nap in the afternoon, um, and so I don't know why I didn't have Heidi drive on the way back, she would have been more willing, but I was like just trying to drive and not fall asleep, and my wife's very good as a teacher of making it fun, and let's all be awake and perky, and I'm like, I just want to take a nap. And so she was singing Christmas carols. My boys love when she does this kind of stuff. She's singing Christmas carols, and then she would stop, and I would have to finish the line of the Christmas carol. This is the only way we got back safely to Worcester this afternoon before I got a quick nap for church, before church tonight. But, but my weakness, aren't you shocked by how often we're just so weak I mean, I just slept like just a few hours before that, and already I'm tired again. Um, our weakness, our frailties. Listen to this statement tonight. Instability is the result of the law because it depends upon the fickle at best us. That's why uh, instability is the result of trying to be a compliant legalist uh, of the law. Stability is the result of grace because it rests upon the immutable God. He never changes. He never wavers. He is steady. He is steady. He is steady. And so where there is inconsistency in our walk with God and our relationship with God, that's not an issue with him. That's an issue with us relying too much upon ourselves. So let's talk about tonight in these first six verses a few areas where if we're building upon the foundation of God's grace, it will produce stability in us. Number one, jot this down, stand without losing liberty. Stand without losing liberty. I don't know if you saw the story out of South Korea <clears throat> a few months ago. This would have been, I believe, the weekend of Halloween. It was Halloween on a, uh, was that a Saturday going into a Sunday maybe? So they would have been ahead of us um, time frame wise. But on October 30th, that Sunday, so yes, it was leading into Monday, um, 133 people were killed in a mass stampede. Did you see this story a few months ago? And basically all that happened is it was late at night and people are partying and doing stuff they shouldn't have been doing, I'm sure. But there was, there was a narrow alley between two kind of congregate areas that crowds would congregate. And so this whole big crowd was going from one location to another through a narrow alley. And what happened is there was this mass stampede, and basically the people out front were fine, and the people behind at the end were fine, but everybody in the middle just got stampeded. They literally just ran over them, um, constricted, um, restricted. And often as it relates to our flesh, our instability is the result of losing our liberty. We start allowing ourselves to be hemmed in by certain regulations and requirements that are not from God and instead are fueled and sustained 
by the flesh. Let's talk about these quickly, a few things he alludes to in this area. Verse number one, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. Notice this. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So first of all, at the beginning of verse 1, he says, here's kind of the two implications of this. Number one, we have to keep our freedom by standing firm. It's not something we can passively experience. I can't have the stabilizing effect of God's grace just by default. I can't just check out. I have to stay engaged uh, to defend and secure the freedoms that the grace of God affords me. It's the same as with our country, right? Um, If we don't and you understand the spirit of this, I'm not calling for political activism tonight, but we do need to stand for certain things, right? We have to vote. We have to pray. We have to be engaged as a citizenry. Uh, It's our responsibility to do so. And the same thing is true as citizens of heaven, citizens of God's kingdom. Our freedoms uh, must be uh, defended. And the idea here of standing firm is a military word, mixing together some of these ideas, keeping alert, being strong, resisting attack, and then I find this one fascinating, sticking together. Our church will only have the full liberties and all the stability that comes with those liberties if we stick together in defending and and holding to and standing fast in the liberty that God has given. And so despite the fact that we're saved, we must continually and diligently remember this liberty, preserve this liberty, rejoice in this liberty, live in accord with this liberty. And if we do not do so, we will lose not our salvation, but our freedom from the fear and the enslavement that comes that we experience prior to salvation. So we have to stand fast. End of verse 1, he goes on, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so the first implication is we have to keep our freedoms by standing firm. Secondly, if we go back to the law, we are going back not to a better version of religion. We're going back to bondage. We're going back to slavery. I want you to think, and a lot of us, I was saved when I was five years old, so I don't have like a gutter story where I was inebriated and and I had thrown away my marriage and I don't know, whatever else, some despicable testimony. I think it's just as good and glorious of a testimony as someone who was converted later in life. But for those of you who were saved in adulthood, can you remember how you felt prior to salvation, the guilt and the mind games you would play with yourself and you would try to convince yourself or soothe yourself or check out from that, that gnawing reality that things were not right and the burdens and the anxiety and the guilt that constantly plagued you. Do you know that as a saved person, if you let this get a hold of you enough, this legalism, it'll take you back there. I have met believers who have just as much guilt and shame and a complex as they did prior to salvation because they didn't stand firm in the liberty that God has given to them. And people will work you and manipulate you and try to control you where God has shaken off from us those encumbering bondage and slave remnants. Uh, May we choose to disassociate from them. Stand without losing liberty. And what happens when you're anxious and guilty and in bondage to those things, you are not a stable believer. You're irritable. You're easily manipulated and misdirected. Man, stability comes when we stand in the liberty that God has given. All right, verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. And so this liberty that Christ gives to us is only of profit to us if we stand fast and if we do not associate with those who want to move us back to the law. And the specific thing being addressed here is the idea of being either circumcised or not circumcised. The Judaizers were saying to Galatians, to be fully everything God wanted them to be, they must comply with this religious requirement. Paul, in contrast, says if they adopt this teaching and follow it, they cannot experience, they cannot profit from the grace that God has given and offered to us. And so Paul wanted the Galatians to remember that we can't add to Christ without subtracting Christ. That's a key statement tonight. You cannot add to Christ without subtracting Christ. He either is all of our value and treasure or he is nothing. You, you can't have it both ways. Well, I want Christ, but then I'm going to mix in some of these religious observances. The moment you do so, as our series testifies, it is grace plus nothing. Once we add, we subtract 
Christ. And I'm telling you, religion minus Christ, any observance minus Christ, has no profit. It's of no benefit. It's of no blessing. And so may we be willing to disassociate from those who move us in that direction. All right, number two. Go to verse three. He says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So number one, stand without losing liberty. Number two, stand without becoming a debtor. Stand without becoming a debtor. Um, The big controversy right now is student loans, right? Are they going to be paid off by we the taxpayer and how many years and how many? I I wish I hadn't paid off some of my school loans. I'm just kidding. But um, that's going on right now. I was just preaching to college students a few months ago and was reading an article in preparation for that. You know what the number one word is that college students use to describe their emotional um, condition? The word over and over is the word overwhelmed. Overwhelmed, overwhelmed, overwhelmed. And if we're not careful, if we, if we don't stand and build upon the foundation of God's grace, we begin to overwhelm ourselves with unnecessary senses of debt. We owe God something. We owe the law something in a way that God never requires of us. And so Paul here says that turning back to the law ruins grace. It creates a, an entirely new obligation, not just to obey that nuance of the law, but to obey all of the law. Um, James chapter 2 says that if we offend in one point of the law, right, James 2.10, we're guilty of what? Of all. Um, go back to chapter 3 of Galatians, um, and if you would, verse uh, number... 10. So this idea of all, the moment we let in works and legalism into our lives and relationship with God as it relates to the foundation of our faith, um, we begin to add unnecessary debts. Verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth, notice this, not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And so the moment we open up the door that we have to now do this to have standing in relationship with God, that's Pandora's box. You now have opened up. Now I have to do everything um, to have merit and standing before um, the Lord. And so we, we must never back away from building only on God's grace because if we do, we become anew and afresh a debtor to God in unnecessary areas. So maybe just this thought before we move on, we cannot selectively submit to the law. It is an all or nothing proposition. Either it's about the law or it's about grace. And at some point we have to choose. And if we choose any of the law, we now open the door for all of the law. All right, number three, go to verse four, back in our text in chapter five. He says, Christ has become, so this is if you go down the circumcision route, you go down the law route, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. Thirdly, stand without losing motivation. Stand without losing motivation. And I know you're here tonight, so you're maybe the exception to this, but if you notice as the days get shorter, at about 4.30 in the afternoon, you lose all motivation. Like, where are my PJs at? And where is that cup of whatever? And turn the fire on, babe. We're in for the night. I mean, it's, it's getting laid out, okay? Um, just motivation begins to leak from our, our hearts and our bodies and our minds. And may I say to you tonight, what happens with the law when we get out of sync with God's grace and we lean too heavily toward the law, it actually derives, a, it, it takes from us, it robs from us a proper sense of motivation. And he refers to that here Um, in verse (laughs) number four. So the temptation is to get locked into what's right and what's wrong from a legalist perspective, and as a result, we lose the motivation God wants us to possess. All right, in verse four, just a couple of thoughts from that. You notice the issue here where he talks about Christ has become of no effect, effect uh, unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. The issue here is not the possible loss of salvation. Be very careful with that in this verse. The grace here is not referring to the salvation itself, but to the method of salvation. How are we saved? We're saved by grace, right? So if I get saved by grace and then I go back to the law, what am I leaving? I'm leaving the grace that saved me. 
I'm moving away from the very thing that is so precious and so powerful and so effective, and I have basically made null and void the very grace that just saved my desperate soul. I'm going back to the thing that never could save me, which is my own flesh. And so Paul here says, don't don't move in that direction. Stick with grace. Stay with that which initially saved you. Um, we, we often talk about those churches. We talk about churches, and I, I'm very careful in our church, and if, if one of our guys or guests maybe makes a comment, I'm very, I, I, we are not here to validate who we are and what we're doing by talking down about other churches. You understand the spirit of that. Lift Christ up, let him draw all men to himself. Um, but we talk a lot about liberal churches, churches that just, man, just grace lets you do whatever you want. Do you know also there are people building large Um, growing churches by emphasizing rituals, Um, all kinds of ritualistic um, kind of observances, and it's very externally oriented and orchestrated, a lot of liturgy. Um, In fact, young people, young people the age of our teens who just went out, a lot of them are actually not being drawn to the hip, cool churches nowadays. They're being drawn to the churches that are very liturgical and very, it's very... um, it's, it's almost um, mystical in a way, these, these, these uh, sacraments and these, uh, these observances that they participate in. And the, the draw of that is this, because then I don't have to deal with my heart. Um, it's all out here. It's all superficial. It's all externally oriented. I'm not discounting all of what they're doing that is liturgical in its nature, but it has to be more than that. And so Paul here says in verse 4, If it's only about those kind of things, you are neutralizing the powerful effect of Christ himself. And so in verse 4, he challenges us to leave that, instead focus on that which is spiritual, that which is directed toward grace. All right, verse 5, for we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And we talked about the advent of hope this morning, but notice that the hope of the believer is far different from that of the legalist. And here would be my question to you tonight. We'll talk about this at the end of chapter 6. But what is the hope of the legalist? So if you talk to someone, and we all have legalistic tendencies in some areas, but if the focus is upon anything less or more than God's grace, what are we hoping will happen as a result of that emphasis? Um, The hope tends to be less than, settling for less than what the hope of the believer is. Here's the hope of the believer. The hope of the believer is that someday when Christ comes, I will be found in righteousness. I'm already righteous standing-wise, but I'm still stuck in this flesh, right? And so are you. And there's coming a moment. Don't you look forward to this day? All that's left between me and God is just righteousness. And all this flesh and all this weakness and all these tendencies I have in my flesh will be stripped away, and I will be known by him, and he will be known by me in a righteous fashion. Um, And so the believer waits for this moment. It's what fuels him. It's what sustains him. He doesn't hope to achieve this by anything he does, but rather by faith and patience and by the Spirit, he waits for uh, this moment. He trusts God to bring it to pass. In contrast, the legalist hopes to earn righteousness by his own works, by his law-keeping or religious observances, which, by the way, is vain at best, right? That's a futile effort. Always hoping and yearning that I can eventually arrive and I can be everything that that God wants and needs me to be on my own merit. And so the hope uh, that we have, that's what drives us, that's what motivates us. Here's the thought tonight. We are not working for acceptance with God. We are working from a position of acceptance. It's, It's already all squared away, folks. God's grace is taking care of all of it. That doesn't mean that we just kick back and chill and and disengage, it fuels us. The believer who really knows what the grace of God is doesn't need guilt-tripped into whatever. We could list all kinds of spiritual disciplines tonight. If we truly have access to the grace of God, and that's got a hold of our hearts, everything we're supposed to be and everything we're supposed to do is just going to naturally flow out of that stabilizing realization that our hope is in the righteousness of God, which will one day be fully revealed in us. All right, verse 6, and then we'll move to our second point tonight. Notice he says this, for in Jesus Christ, I love this about Paul, he puts this very bluntly here, for in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. And so in verse 6, 
Paul says legalism avails nothing. By that, he's saying that nothing that a person does, circumcision or uncircumcision, makes that person any better or any worse. Um, Basically, a summary of the beginning of verse 6 would be this, neither moral exertion or moral failure counts whatsoever. (laughs) So I I I can do nothing and I can do everything religiously. And Paul says at the end of that, it's a big fat zero. That's what he's saying here at the beginning of verse number six. Um, And so legalism helps us in no way. At the end of verse six, notice what God is looking for, but faith which worketh by love. So he's basically saying it's inferred there. Those things avail nothing. The only thing that does avail, the only thing that does make an impact, notice there is faith which worketh by love. Faith works through love. It is prompted by love, not by the law. Um, have you noticed this about legalists and maybe when you have these tendencies too? What does legalism tend to, what's its profile? Loving, gracious, gives the benefit of the doubt to everything and everyone in their lives. No, they're grumpy, they're critical, they're, they're divisive, they're cynical. Um, and so we have these two realities that are pitted against one another. And I have found when I'm grumpy and when I'm cynical, I am not stable. Uh, everything irritates me. I'm on edge. I'm always overreacting to things. But when I'm grounded in the grace of God, I'm more loving. I'm more gracious. I'm more everything God wants me to be to those that are around me. Grace-fueled believers tend to be more gracious and loving to those that are around them. So may we allow God to free us from these things and to stand without losing um, these three things, the liberty he gives us, the frees us from becoming a debtor and frees us from losing our motivation. Um, the other day I was listening to a lady who was talking about four rules that she lives by and the others were very uh, applicable as well. But here was something, I'd like you to think about this. And I've been trying to live by this for the last three days since I've heard this and it's not going so well, I have to be honest with you. But here's the rule. Never take something personally. Never take something personally. Um, You know, for a lot of us in our relationships, the issue has nothing to do with that person. It has nothing to do with that issue. It has everything to do with the fact we're not quite as close and in in continuity with God's grace as we claim we are. If we fully have access to the grace of God, there should be a steadiness to us. There should be a centeredness to us that no person and no thing can shake us from. That's the stability Paul yearns for these believers and for us tonight to have if we'll allow his grace to give us that foundation. All right, number two. Let's talk secondly for a few minutes about stabilizing progress. So the grace of God gives us a foundation upon which to build a stable life, a stable emotional, if you will, profile. Number two, it gives us, (laughs) excuse me, the ability to make progress and progress that stabilizes us. Um, this story just about takes my breath away when I think about the reality of this. Here's two guys. They're right now doing this. They're doing what is called the longest row in the world. They're going across the Atlantic Ocean while we're here meeting in this room. It's supposed to take them about 50 days. They have 65 days of supplies in this boat, um, and it's built specifically to navigate the open sea. It's basically a canoe with storage in one end and some, some power, battery power in the other end. Um, and these two men are traveling the 3,000 miles across the Atlantic, which, as they refer to, the toughest row in the world. Um, and the one guy's name is Ben. He's a restaurant owner, and the other guy's a chef. And they're trying to bring awareness to a couple of causes that I don't think necessarily is worth mentioning this evening. But they're, they're, they're going to take the next 50 days, and I think they're about 10 days into the trip, the last that I read of the story And I was thinking about this, you know, I mean, there's some swells in this story, but can you imagine a full-blown storm hitting the Atlantic while these guys are out there? And the odds are in 50 days, you're probably going to hit something, right? How do you go through turbulent water? Do you just kind of drift your way up one swell and down the other or turn the boat sideways and hope for the best? No, you you tend to to go into, you tend to go toward... um, The other day I heard someone say this with grief. I don't know if this applies to you with grief or something else, but they said the fastest way to go toward the sunrise is not to chase where it's already set. It's to go into the darkness toward where it's going to next rise. 
Isn't that a great idea there, that concept of how we process difficulty and grief? And I think a lot of our instability is we're not, we're not going forward. See, the grace of God is meant to stabilize us, not just to like get stuck somewhere or plant our feet. It, it's stabilizing us by moving us forward. A growing believer is always a more grounded believer, right? How do we grow? We grow, grow by the grace of God. We grow in the grace of God. And so the stability we need tonight is we need to not just be grounded in grace. We need to be growing in grace. Um, so Paul here is going to call these believers to do that in these last few verses of our text this evening. All right, let's talk about a couple of them in the time we have left. Number one, jot this down. We need to advance without hindering growth. So we allow the grace of God to stabilize us with progress, first by advancing without hindering growth. And one of the things that concerns Paul here is this. Listen, if you Galatians get stuck in legalism, you're not going to grow into everything God wants you to be. Um, you're going to become stagnant. You're going you're to get stuck where God wants to move you forward. Advance without hindering growth. And so in verse 7 here, you notice <laughs> that the Galatians had made a good start. He commends them. You did run well. Man, you guys were, you came out of the gate um, running. You, you, you've made progress. But then he asked this question, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? The Galatians had made a good start, but someone hindered them. Obviously, he's referencing here rhetorically the legalist. And he says here, by accepting their erroneous teachings, the saints were disobeying the truth of God. Um, what is he saying? He's saying basically that the legalists were lying. They were leading them toward untruth. And so for us to grow, we have to grow in grace and we have to grow in truth. I heard this statement the other day. You may want to jot this down. This is good. Before the truth can set you free, before the truth can set you free, you must first identify what lie is holding you hostage. Before the truth can set you free, you must first identify what lie is holding you hostage. You know how many lies we tell ourselves? I'm nothing. I'll never. I can't. I don't know, whatever the specific, I'll always, I'll never, all these 100% statements we say to ourselves. But for us to be set free by the truth, we must first identify what lie is holding us hostage. Now, here's the scary thing about those lies. A lot of them are clothed in religiosity. You know, a lot of the lies we tell ourselves, we even have a verse for it. We have some preacher that said it. We have some religious teaching or training that sustains that and, and elevates that profile of that lie in our life. And so before the truth can set us free, we have to first identify what lie is holding us hostage. And Paul says this, what you're doing is not just less than God intended, it's actually heading in the opposite direction of God's truth. Verse 8, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And so here he clearly says legalism is not a divine teaching. God has never taught us and never will teach us anything close to legalism. And here he's very careful to distinguish the teaching from the God who gives us his doctrine and his grace. And so the belief that circumcision, <laughs> excuse me, and law keeping should be added to faith in Christ did not come from God and never will. Therefore, what's the only other option? If legalism doesn't come from God, what's the only other option? The devil himself. There, that's the blunt truth tonight. There are only two sources of spiritual influence uh, and direction. It's either God and his grace or anything else. Not just the hedonism of this world, but often the religiosity um, that's cloaked as God's truth that actually could not be further from it. And so here Paul calls it out for what it is. Verse 9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And so he, he talks about now this legalism will infect, it will spread, it will uh, grow into more and more evil, it will infect the whole lump. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a, uh, I'm thinking of like garlic or like a strong spice or herb or something, but if you've ever had, you know, a meal with garlic, it kind of just everything then tastes like garlic, right? Smells like garlic for weeks sometimes. Um, I love garlic, but it, it, it does not age well sometimes. 
but it infects everything. The same thing is true with the, this concept of leaven, and leaven is never pictured in Scripture as a positive thing. It is characterizing uh, evil, and, and Paul here says it will spread. It will infect everything that it touches. Just a question tonight. How many of us are tolerating just a little bit of it? Um, you and your little area of influence and, and, and testimony and me as well. Do you know it will never stay that way? In this church, it won't stay that way. In your home, it won't stay that way. It will just spread. It will just grow. Um, we have to deal with it. Hence the, the passion in this series. We have got to defend our homes and our hearts and our church from this because it will infect. It will damage um, a grace-fueled community uh, in ways that we often do not anticipate. And so Paul here reminds us of how quickly and comprehensively uh, it spreads. I want to encourage you as God's challenge you, even this series or in things in subsequent weeks and years, when God brings it to bear, deal with it urgently. Deal with it thoroughly. Let God root it out of your heart. Let him root it out of your thinking and your theology. Do not flirt with it. Don't tolerate it. All right, verse 10. I love this positive encouragement in the midst of all of this confrontation. I have confidence in you through the Lord. Notice he doesn't have any confidence in them intrinsically, but through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And so Paul here is confident that the Lord, who is the great shepherd, will bring back these wandering sheep and that he also will rebuke and deal with the one who is misleading the flock. Growth is only possible when we're aligned with truth. Grace is always aligned with truth. So if we want to grow, we've got to be aligned with God's grace. And together, that produces in our lives this growth that God wants. Um, one of the things that scares me um, in the right sense is um, just thinking about my potential. Like if, if God's grace is fully offered to me and to you this evening, how under Overwhelming is my growth to God. What could it? What could be? Have you ever thought about that? Um, not in a way that like immobilizes us or discourages us, but I want to reach my full potential. And often it's things I tolerate and I let be a part of my life that hinder me, that keep me from being all that God wants me to be. Not for me, but for Him. And so this is something we must disassociate from to not hinder the growth that God can produce. All right, verse eleven we see a second area of advancing that comes when we're careful. Verse 11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then, notice this, then is the offense of the cross ceased. Number two, advance without neutralizing the cross. Advance without neutralizing the cross. Have you ever noticed how we, <clears throat> we avoid pain? Like, we're wired to do that, right? Our brains are lazy, doing the minimum. Uh, we try to avoid and sidestep anything difficult. Uh, this is a dad joke, so sorry if you don't think this is funny. A few of us guys will probably smirk when we hear it. We'll also be in trouble afterwards, probably. The other day I heard a guy said this, Sometimes I wake up grumpy, but other times I let her sleep, okay? I just, I just let her sleep. Um, you know that there are, there are times where... Um, don't laugh too hard, guys. Uh, yeah, uh, where we sidestep things that really cause us to, to, to hurt and to harm all that God intends for us as believers. And nowhere is that more true than in our association or disassociation from the cross of Jesus Christ. How did we get the grace of God? We didn't get it through a, a, a fairy tale. We didn't get it through some rosy pictured story. It came through the gruesome death, right? The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, this grace that we have. And so it's been costly on God's part, and sometimes we want it both ways. We want to have the benefits without being associated with uh, often the shame and reproach that man piles upon it. And so the legalist will tell us, well, their way is higher. They're taking the higher road. I, the higher standard, that just makes me cringe when I hear it. Higher based on whose who's standard? Well, we, we have a higher standard as a family. Higher than what? <laughs> than my standard or someone else's standard? Or it's harder to be 
you know, a law-abiding Christian to, to follow these rules and these regulations, whether it's dietary or calendar or other things that Paul brings up in Romans and in here in Galatians. But I can tell you that often actually is the easy way out because it allows them, those who have the, quote, higher and harder standard, to disassociate themselves from the difficulties uh, that go with identifying with the cross. I'm a desperate sinner. I needed God the Son himself to come die on the cross for my sins. Um, that's what the grace-associating believer is willing to admit. And so a couple of things he says here in verse 11 and 12. First in verse 11, he says, as they're accusing him of still preaching circumcision, he says, listen, I'm constantly getting criticized. Um, there's no way that I would advance this teaching myself because if I did, I would not be persecuted by uh, these Judaizers that are trying to mislead you. And so he's emphasizing his commitment to the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 12. Now he speaks very bluntly here. I don't know if you caught this as we read through it. He says, I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. And of all the language Paul uses in Galatians, this is probably one of, if not the strongest, bluntest verse um, that he states. And here's kind of a summary of it. He wishes here that these Judaizers, the, one trying, the ones trying to mislead the, uh, the, the Galatians, um, that they were so enthusiastic about circumcision, they would go the whole way and just castrate themselves. That's, that's the wording here. That's the blunt truth. And, and, and he's so committed to the doctrine of God's grace, he's just, he's had it. And I think this language is also so they're unable to reproduce, if you will, their influence in others. He says, let's just be done with it. He's, he's willing to go all the way and disassociate completely from these who are misleading the Galatians. And so this evening, we only move forward in proportion to how much we trust in or associate fully with the offensive cross of Jesus. We cannot go forward. We cannot grow without being associated with the cross. And so may we not have self-inflicted wounds of our own flesh that counter the suffering and the shame that Christ suffered for us. Maybe a final thought on this before our last point. <clears throat> An author I was reading the other day said this. I think this is so good. He said, you do not need to hate Jesus to waste your life. Back to the idea of living up to our potential. You do not need to hate Jesus to waste your life. You only need to be okay with how you are. Um, are you okay with how you are? Because I, I with God's help, I'm not. And I hope you're not as well. And often what the legalist does says, let's create some rules that accommodate who we already are and what we're willing to do and not do. And let's let that help us feel better about who we are. And let's just hold here. That is not the message of the gospel. That's not the message of grace. Grace is always trying to grow us and stretch us and help us reach our full potential uh, through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so don't be okay with where you're at. Don't let somebody else pat you on the back and say you're okay. There's more God wants to do. Advance without neutralizing the cross of Jesus Christ. All right, lastly, number three, advance without digressing into license. We haven't talked much about this in our series. We'll spend just a moment this evening. But there's the opposite extreme of legalism that is just as fleshly, right? And that is license. That's just, well, whatever Whatever you want to do, it's grace. It's all grace. You do what you want to do. You do you, I'll do me, and we'll just do whatever comes to mind. Advancing without digression into license. Um, we have a term in our day, I don't know if this would be a political orientation or a social issue orientation, but the word is progressive, right? So someone who is progressive, what, what comes to your mind when you hear that term? Is that someone who is kind of ratcheting down, trying to be very traditional and conservative and whatever? No, progressive is basically letting the flesh just run wild, right? You do you, I do me, all of that mindset. And, and often what is portrayed as progress actually is moving further and further down. It's devolving. It's, it's, it's going further into the gutter, if you will, of the flesh and its unrestrained appetites and desires. And so Paul is careful here to challenge us in the midst of all we're progressing in to not digress into a licensing kind of existence. So the message of 1 to 12 is don't lose your freedom. Verse 13 to 15 is don't abuse the gospel freedom. 
Um, and I hope you leave tonight by, by making sure this tension is maintained in your relationship with um, God's grace. So in verse 13, notice he says that we have been called to liberty, but our liberty is not meant then to be uh, used uh, for an occasion to the flesh. And the idea of occasion is very interesting, this word has this idea, the base operation, base camp, if you will. Our liberty should not be base camp for then our flesh to launch out into other avenues and agendas that further subvert the holiness of God, His purity, and His power at work in our lives. The idea would almost be like, I'm thinking like D-Day or some storming of a beach where they're trying to establish a beachhead. And then from that base of operation, they're going further inland. Uh, we should not allow our liberty uh, in the grace of God to give a, an inroad for our flesh to get the upper hand in our hearts and lives. And I would say in this room, one of the things that concerns me, this is just me being direct with you as a pastor, there's many in this room, you're tolerating things in your life, in your home, things you're letting your kids and your teens in the other room have in their life that are giving beachheads for the flesh. Um, be careful tonight. You don't take this series and say, well, then let's do whatever we want. Um, that's unwise on our part. They still have a choice and we still have a choice, but don't let the flesh have a foothold uh, in our lives. That's what Paul's saying at the beginning of verse 13. Notice the end of the verse, he goes on to say, but by love serve one another. So our liberty is not meant to live for ourselves. It's meant to live for others. That's a key component. Because I've found if I, only, if I have to just keep trying to shut down my own fleshly appetites, I just keep trying to say no to that, that's a losing proposition, right? But if instead I get lost in helping others and serving others with that liberty, man, now I'm growing, now I'm thriving, and I'm using God's grace for the benefit of those around me. So the proper outlet for our freedom is to become the slave of another human being. Not in the sense of they control us, but their needs and their their what they require of us, we do our best to serve them. That's the proper outlet and manifestation of our freedom that grace affords us. All right, verse 14. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Isn't it interesting that Paul now mentions the law in a positive way after all of the negative things? And he says that all of the law is fulfilled here by simply loving those around us. Loving God, loving our neighbor. Sound familiar? Christ himself taught this. Um, the other day I heard someone define success as this. This is, a, to me, a novel definition. I've never thought of this before. Somebody said, success is finding your uniqueness and exploiting it for the benefit of others. Isn't that a good definition? Success is finding your uniqueness and exploiting it for the benefit of others. Find what uniquely God has graced you and gifted you with and exploit it, not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of others. Um, one of the ways I've found to check my doctrine and my thinking on things is to think about who is it about. Um, a lot of times I think I've got theology figured out or I've figured something out that maybe I didn't know before. And a writer I was reading read this, when you pride yourself on sound doctrine and don't love people on the basis of that doctrine, you prove that your doctrine is unsound. Like if your doctrine tonight does not produce in your life greater love and service to others, I don't care what your theological position is, you're off. And so am I when it's true of me. Our doctrine and our theology should always produce greater love and service to others, not service of self, but service of others. All right, let's land tonight in verse 15. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This is going to be a hard truth tonight, but it's so true. So much of church division is found right here in what we're studying tonight. Legalists eventually turn on each other. They do. So do those who practice license. You eventually see drunkards turn on each other and carnality, those who are carnal turn on each other. But the same is true of legalism. Legalists long-term cannot get along. Legalists long-term turn on one another. So legalism invariably, Paul says, leads to quarreling. 
And apparently it's already happened here in Galatia. And Paul identifies the root source of the, of the turmoil and of the tension. This spirit that lacks and leaks the grace of God. And so our view of grace and the law directly determines whether this church can stay together, whether your family can stay together. Uh, we need the grace of God. We cannot move forward without it. We can't not digress into license in our families and in our relationships uh, without it. And so we need the stabilizing effect of grace over the flesh. Last thought tonight is this. Have you ever thought about, uh, I can remember several times my grandfather uh, on the farm where there would be a stream that would just kind of meander um, through and it'd be kind of marshy. I can remember him several times. He had a backhoe. My grandpa could not, you could not get him stuck in a backhoe. He could be in the middle of a swamp and he would figure out a way with, with the stabilizing arms and the, the bucket and the claw. He could work his way literally through a lake, just working his way. And we would just, his grandkids, just sit there and just watch him. Five bucks says he doesn't get out of this or what, you know, just kind of that conversation. And we always lost, we're on the losing end if we had that kind of a wager going. And, uh, but I remember several times where he would straighten out a river and he would, he would take it from wandering all through the pasture and he would get it in one straight line. And I was thinking of that as I read um, this statement. Think about this. True freedom is found only in obedience to proper restraint. A river finds liberty to flow only between the banks. Without these, it would only spread out into a slimy, slimy, stagnant pool. Planets uncontrolled by law would only bring wreck to themselves into the universe. The same law which fences us in fences others out. The restraints which regulate our liberty also ensure and protect it. It's not control, but the right kind of control and a cheerful, cheerful obedience which makes the free man. And so in this area of license, it, it, it's not that then we just, you know, we throw off all shackles and all restraints and do whatever we want. Actually, freedom is found by guarding against this license uh, in our stewardship of liberty. All right, I want to show you this last little video clip, and I don't need the audio, Nick, but I just wanted to show you. This is hilarious. This little girl who's afraid of her shadow. And if you hear the audio, she's just screaming. And then she falls down. Just can't escape her shadow. Can I just say to you now as we finish, your instability in your life, most if not all of it, the source of it is you. And it's how you view yourself. It's how you view your God. It's how you view his word. And most importantly, listen to me, it's how you view his grace. Where you're insecure tonight and where you're unstable, in some way you're out of sync, you're out of step with his grace. And you can keep running from your shadow and keep trying to deny all the things that, that are revealed as you go through life, but until you understand and value and treasure his grace, that instability will persist. Um, I, I was just talking with somebody the other day and said, Pastor, how do you, and I've asked other pastors the same question, how do you deal with folks coming and going and, and challenges of ministry and life? How do you just keep going? I, I only have one answer for that I'm finding and growing in, and it's the grace of God. I hope, I think you want a pastor who has some level of. You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message.